Are you ready for the word this week? Are you ready for the word? John chapter 5, everyone, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to look it up. What our version of the, of the Bible do you use? Yell it out, what version of the Bible? New Living? ESV? ESV? NASB? New American Standard. No, Revised Standard. Too many words. All right. Because um, in this passage that we look at this morning, um, the NIV and the ESV leave out verse 4, but the NKJV puts it in. Interesting. We'll get to that later. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what's happening in the life of our church. And Father, I pray that as we pray, Lord, as you, as you speak to us today, that, we, that you would use me for this purpose, that you give us ears and hearts open to hear from you. Father, use this for your purpose and your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Father, anoint me for this task. Well, friends, I, I want to confess this morning that, that I have a problem. Thank you. That's what I thought. And some might say you have, you have, more, than, you have more than one. I uh, want to tell you about my problem this morning. I know I've got a problem, and yet I love the problem that I have. I'll say that again. I know that I have it. Shh, Melody. I know that I have it. I know that I've got a problem, and yet I love the problem that I have. Second one. <laughs> That's naughty. I know it's... I know it's not good for me. Here we go. I know it's not good for me, and yet I allow it to be part of my life. My wife tells me it's a problem and wants me to change because she's also led astray by my problem. And fourthly, I know the long-term effects of this problem of heart disease, blocked arteries, obesity, and yet that, that isn't enough to change my behavior. Does anyone know what my problem is? Yeah, it is. Friends, I'm now 40 years of age, and I can't eat what I used to eat, and just you just can't do that anymore. As a kid, you can just eat whatever you want, and you're fine. But as you get older, the body starts to not work like it used to, and you just can't do what you used to do. And the other night, Michelle opened up a block of 200-gram Cadbury chocolate, and within like an hour, the whole thing was just gone. And the thing about chocolate's this. Oh, it's missing a word. I know I have a problem, but I don't want to underneath. It's supposed to say change. I know I have a problem, but I don't want to change. One more time. I know I have a problem, but I don't want to change. Friends, I wonder if you can relate to my story this morning. Now, I've talked about chocolate, but it's most probably something else for you. There's a struggle in your life. There's a problem in your life, you know it's there, but you just don't want to change. For you, this, let's get real serious, let's dive in this morning. For you, it could be anxiety, depression, a physical ailment, negative thinking, a poor self-esteem, some sort of addiction, overeating, laziness, greed, pride, a negative attitude, and the list goes on. You may see it as a struggle or a problem in your life, but you know what? You just don't want to change. I want to suggest this morning five reasons why you may not want to change. Everyone's got really quiet all of a sudden. Let's get real. You don't want to change because, I'm going to give you five, here's number one. 
Because you like the problem that you have. Like me with chocolate, I know it's a problem, but I like it. When it goes in my mouth and the taste buds, it gives you a kick because it's got this thing in it that gives you a kick, and it's really, really, really good. The kick, but it's not good. It's a problem, and I like it, and I don't want to change. Maybe for you, it's, um, it's overeating. It's, it's eating too much or eating too much of the wrong foods. You eat to make yourself feel good rather than give you the energy to do life well. I heard that. We eat to make us feel good rather than eat what we need to do life well. Maybe overeating is a problem or a struggle for you, and you actually like the feeling of food in your belly. You like being full. And the last five days, I've eaten way too much food. And each day I wake up with this, with this tummy that's a little bit larger than, than what it was the day before. And, and we eat because it makes us feel good. And, and although we, we see it as a problem because we like it, we don't want to change. Men, let me speak directly to you for a moment. Looking at ladies in swimwear, even pornography, if you struggle with that, you know that's a problem in your life. But when you look at that image, the scientists tell us that when you see it, there is this chemical reaction in your brain and it releases this feel-good chemical. It's like cocaine or a drug and it gives you a hit. So that when you look at a girl lustfully, it gives you a hit and it makes you feel really good. And so you like the problem that you have. So you might struggle with lust or you might struggle with looking at women inappropriately, but because it feels good, you like it, you don't want to change. Ooh, this is a bit heavy this morning, isn't it? It is. Is that okay to get heavy at LifeGate Church? It's okay. Amen. Number two, maybe you don't want to change because you feel like you can't live without it. I was speaking to a pastor that I know, um, not part of this church, and another church, and he was sharing, me about, sharing with me about a lady who was part of his key leadership team. It's on his board at, at his church. And, this, and he said, sharing with me that this lady had troubles in her life, troubles in her past, struggles in her past, and, and the abuse and stuff in her past rose to the surface. And as a way of dealing with it, as a way of dealing with it, she turned to alcohol. And alcohol became the band-aid, the short-term solution for the pain. She turned to alcohol because when she was drinking, all that pain and the thoughts of the past left, and she medicated the pain through alcohol. And alcohol became such a problem in this woman's life that her marriage busted up, and her kids left with dad, teenage kids left with dad. And mum wasn't willing to do and still isn't willing to deal with the alcohol addiction because she doesn't know how she's going to live without it in her life. The pain is so great. If I haven't got this, how am I going to survive? So she chooses to live in the addiction of alcohol because she thinks she can't live without it. Third reason this morning, maybe you feel like You don't want to change because you've accepted it as part of who you are and you have no desire to change. Well, that's just me. I just have those issues. That's just who I am. 
because of the struggles, the problems in your life, you just see that as part of your identity. You go, well, that's just who I am. Well, and because it's who I am, why should I change? I was speaking to someone recently, someone who is, someone's close to me, and I was speaking to them about their struggle with fear and anxiety. And I said to them, you don't have to live this way. Do you want to change? And they responded to me by saying, but that's just how I am. In other words, there is no desire to change because they've owned it as their problem. This is who I am. They recognized they had a problem, and yet they weren't willing to change. Is this okay? Four. Suggestion, number four. Maybe you don't want to change because you don't think you can change. Maybe you think you're too stuck. It's too wound up. You've done this. You've struggled with this for so long. You've had this issue for so long. I don't think I can change. I was talking to another person just recently about their struggles and some of the decisions they were making and how things weren't going well. And the response was, I've been like this for the last 37 years. In other words, I don't think I can change. The person recognized they struggled, and yet they realized, they thought, they didn't realize, they thought to themselves, I can't possibly change. Number five, maybe you don't want to change because you've had it for so long, and there is uncertainty of what life looks like without it. Um, about six years ago, I, I just ran out of energy, hit the wall, um, preached on Sundays, but just ran out of energy and had horrible thinking. And if you've been part of the church for a while, you would have heard the story. And so to get help, I went to a psychologist and we started to unpack why I'm like, why was I the perfectionist? Why was I the people pleaser? Why was I so driven? And, and she said to me, Nathan, you are an adrenaline junkie. You live on adrenaline and you like it. And I'm like, yeah, you betcha I do. I like the drive. I love the passion. I like being up. And being down, that sucks. I want to be up. And she said to me, Nathan, but if you continue to do this, you're going to damage your body. Your body's not supposed to go this way. And you're going to just burn yourself out. And so in that moment, I was like, I don't know if I can get off this adrenaline because I was so uncertain at what it was going to be like to live without it. So I was wrestling, do I actually want to change? And live healthy, or do I want to stay where I'm at because it seems like it wasn't working, but it did for so many years. So I recognized I had a problem, but there was this there was this hesitancy in me to change because I was uncertain about what, what life was going to look like if I did change. There's five suggestions about why people don't want to or may not want to change. Can you relate to these this morning? Can you relate to any of these this morning? I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want you to process this. What is the problem? What is the struggle that you don't want to change? And do one of these five go, yeah, that's the reason I don't want to. 30 seconds, have a think. Remember, we don't just want to give you knowledge. We want to encourage transformation. So get the truth. Revelation. What's this one called? It's just called knowledge? No. Information. Revelation, when it drops to the heart. I just don't want to give you this. I want you to apply it so it becomes revealed God's truth, and then you can live a transformed life. 
This morning I want to take you to John chapter 5. Because in this passage, Jesus finds someone with a problem and he asks them this question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to change? That's a question that Jesus asked this person. Let's look at it, John chapter 5. I've got it on the screen from the NIV. If you're following it along, look particularly for verse 4. It's not in the NIV, so I'm going to skip it here. John chapter 5 verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish feast festivals. Now they're in Jerusalem near the sheep, uh, in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool. Here's a picture of the pool. What they believe to the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda apparently means house of mercy. It's believed that the water stirred, and we'll get there in a minute. And there you've got people sitting there. Someone's obviously interpretation of what that scripture looks like today. One who was there had been an invalid for how many years? What does it say? 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? In verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat. And walked. Let's go back to verse 1. It talks about here, Bethesda. Jesus goes to this, this, this place called the House of Mercy, where it was believed that the water was stirred up. Now, in the New King James Version, it includes verse 4, and this is what verse 4 says. Let me go back to verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever d- disease he had. Now, the question I have is, why does some versions of the Bible include verse 4 and some don't? Well, it comes down, come to, comes down to Bible translation and, and Bible accuracy. So our, our, our people who translate the Bible for us look back to the ancient texts. And there's many ancient texts of, 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 the, of the scriptures, and they go back to the earliest texts. And there's many of them. And there are a few small differences between the different texts. That's why our belief statement says that we believe the Bible is inerrant as originally given. Originally given. Because as it went along, some, some of the hiccups got in the way. And verse 4 was one of the ones where some of the ancient manuscripts had it and some didn't. And so they wanted to be as true to accuracy as possible. So the NIV left it out, other versions left it in. And before you think, therefore, the Bible has lots of problems, actually, the, the reverse is true. Because there's so many different manuscripts and they're so much the same, we can put trust in the scriptures as true because there's so many that are the same. There's only a couple of little things that are different between the texts. Now, this thing about the angel stirring up the water relates to what we read in verse 7 where the invalid says, I have no one to help me into the, into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So somehow this water is stirred. The water had some sort of healing properties and it was believed that if you got in when the water was stirred, you would be healed. That was the belief at the time. Was it true? I don't know, but that's what they believed at the time. And then this man 
has Jesus speak to him about getting up. But before verse 7, Jesus asks him this question. He says in verse 6, When Jesus had saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for 38 years, he asked him, Do you want to get well? This is where we're going to go this morning. Do you want to get well? Now, if you think quickly about being an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus asked you the question, do you want to get well, what would your response be? Of course I want to get well. Of course. But if you put yourself in the shoes of this man who's been an invalid for 38 years, maybe that answer wasn't as easy to come by. Let me give you a bit of context of his life. To be an invalid meant you're a beggar. So for the last 38 years, his income came by begging. His food, his water, his clothing came by begging. There was no, no welfare. There was no government. It was begging. And it was what he knew. They usually sat in the, in the same places. For this man, it was a pool near Bethesda there. And I can imagine that he would have had other lame people around him. And he would have known them. And they would have spoke every day. And they would have had these deep relationships. Then he would have had similar people walk past. He would have had guests as well as the locals walking past. And the locals would have known him by name. And he would have known them by name. He would have known the people that gave him money, the people that didn't give him money. He would have known what to say to get money, how to sit to get money, how to act to get money, what to write on his little plaque. You know how they write in their plaques to get money. He knew that way of life so well that he may have been comfortable in it. I'm not saying it was a good life by any means. But it was what he knew. And to change that meant to change everything. A job, new relationships, new way of doing life, a totally massive shift for this man. And the reason I say that is because we can live in the same struggle and in the same problem for many years that it becomes who we are and to change can be a scary thing. We can think to, my, we can think to ourselves, well, well, this issue, this struggle, this is my thing. There is no way out. This is who I am. Which leads us, which leads us to the place where we have no desire to change. And if change was a possibility, there's so much uncertainty of what the future would look like that you're fearful to go there. Friends, change can be difficult. The thought of doing life differently can be very, very difficult. But let me give you the good news. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. It is. Being free from your struggle, being free from the weight that's holding you down, that problem that's been there for maybe a short time, for a long time, that thing that, that's there that Jesus doesn't want there, it's holding you back, it's holding you down. And when you are free, when you are free, when you are free, wow, the weight is gone. You're able to be used more by God. The future is, the future is very great. I used to drive a 2002 Toyota Camry. Anyone have a 2002 Toyota Camry? It was a V6 version. And it had a problem with its wheel alignment. 
And so I, I get the wheel alignment sorted, and then I drive it for a few months, and then it would veer to the left, and I take it back, and it veer to the left. And apparently those cars had a problem with their wheel alignment. I eventually had to get two bolts put in to sort out the wheel alignment. And apparently, mechanics can fix up my theology on cars if I'm wrong, right? Apparently that when you have a dodgy wheel alignment, it's the car's harder to drive because you're, you're always pulling straight. Your tires wear unevenly, which costs you more money because your tires wear out. You use more petrol because there's more friction because the tire is leaning one way. And because there's more friction, you use more fuel. And when you brake, it doesn't brake as well because the tires aren't sitting straight. All reasons why it's important to have a good wheel alignment. And every time I'd get that alignment fixed, man, the car was so much easier to drive until a few months later it'd pull and I'd get it fixed and it was so much easier to drive. And is, is that true, men? Is that right, Ross? Thank you. Yes, dear. <laughs> Thank you for that. And it's true with us. If there's problems like a dodgy wheel alignment, it's harder. Life is more difficult. You're being hurled back. There is so much more for you. When you get set free of your struggles and your problems, when you choose to get obedient to what Jesus has for you, you then walk even more in the freedom that he has for your life. When you come under his authority, you're setting yourself up for the life in abundance that Jesus has for you. You're carrying less weight. You are, you are healthier mentally. And if you overcome that struggle in your life, you know what? The next problem or the next struggle that comes, because you overcame that one, guess what? You believe you can overcome the next one. You can change. Church, you can change. Do you want to get well this morning? As Jesus asked that man, do you want to get well? Do you want those chains broken? Do you want to let the past go? Do you want to get well? Well, here's three things this morning really practically to implement. The first one is this, three steps to freedom. Number one is this, you've got to get real friends about the problem. You've got to say, this is a problem, this is a struggle. And if you sat there in those 30 seconds and you couldn't think of one, turn to your spouse. Turn to your father, your mother, a family member, a friend, and say, do I have a problem? And guess what? They're going to respond very quickly, don't you think? Turn to your children, they will tell you. You've got to get real about it. The second thing is this. You've got to ask yourself, do I want to change? Because some of us don't. Some of us are happy to live in the crap. Oops. We're happy to live in it. You've got to ask yourself the question, do I want to change? And if the answer is yes, take action. And let me describe take action three ways. Around yourself, around others, and God. Number one, yourself. Sometimes you just got to make a decision. You don't need God. Sometimes you just go, you know what? I need to buy different things at the shop. I need to buy different food at the shops. I need to watch less television. I need to drive slower. I need to don't look again. Now you need Jesus for that one. That man, that's very difficult. You need Jesus for that one. But sometimes it's just you need to make a choice. I'm not going to do that anymore. And you do it. Take action, do something about it. Second thing, God in his kindness has given you a church family. He's given you a life group. And if you're struggling, you can say, hey, guys, I struggle in this area. Can you help me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you encourage me in this area? A place where, you, where they can go, how are you going with that? And if it's a really deep thing, talk to your mentor about it. Talk to me about it. Talk to Ken about it. Talk to your life group leader. Talk to a mentor. Talk to a leader. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to someone. 
Because God doesn't want us to go through life on our own. He's put people around us to help us get free. Mentors, life group. And finally, finally, where's mum? Maybe in the front room, Savannah. Yep, we'll find her. And finally, go to God. Go to Jesus. Thanks, Nat. Go to God. Go to Jesus. When this man, this lame man encountered Jesus, his life was forever changed. And friends that struggle, that problem, bring it to Jesus and allow him to bring freedom to your life. He is the God of the transformation. He is the God of freedom. He is the God who breaks chains, who restores, who breaks struggles. He is the God who impacts our lives. And friends, sometimes it happens immediately. You go to God and God changes it immediately. But other times you go on a journey. Sometimes God does his work and you need to make your own choices and then he wants another person in your world. Sometimes you go on the journey and you see incremental changes and you see change and you see change and you don't actually get there in this life, but in the next one you will. If you, if you are, have a physical ailment, go to Jesus for healing and believe in faith that he would do it for you. And if he doesn't do it, then believe again. If he doesn't do it again, believe again and keep believing until you see it. And whether it happens in this 80, 90 years you have now or eternity, you will get it. In Jesus' name, go to him. Jesus is the chain breaker. You know, as we come to the close of this message, as we talk about problem, as we talk about struggle, friends, our biggest problem, our greatest struggle is the three-letter word sin, which is simply wrongdoing that God, the stuff that we do that God hates. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have been forgiven of that sin. That sin, it's dealt with, it's over. And yet as Christians, we still walk in struggle and Jesus wants us to be free from that. But if you're here this morning, and in a group like this, there's bound to be someone who has not yet committed their life to Jesus. If you're here this morning, let me tell you that your sin, your wrongdoing, is a thing that, is a thing that separates you from God. Because of your sin, the Bible says you deserve death. But because of God's kindness by sending Jesus, he offers you eternal life. He offers you sin forgiven. And if you're here this morning and you want to commit your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. All you need to do, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that. I'm just going to ask you where you are to bow your head, close your eyes, and pray this prayer with me. God will hear it, and you'll become a Christian, a person who's forgiven of sin, a person who has a destiny with God in eternity forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you just prayed that prayer, you've become a Christian. That's the best decision you could ever make. It really, really is. I'm going to invite the band to come. Come on, band, please. And can we just sing, Fee, I'm not going to play, you do it. Um, just the chorus of Resurrection Power. And we'll sing it a few times. Is that all right? And let's stand together. And let me encourage you to talk to your life group, to make decisions. But in this moment, 
to pursue Jesus just like that lame man did and ask God to meet you here right now in this moment. Ask him to meet you because the scripture says in Ephesians 1.19, the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is in you and for you and able to work in you. He's able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine in your life. God is the God who makes the impossible possible. So let's stand together. And, and we're going to sing and we're going to play this together. Resurrection power.